Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Well, welcome back. This is Addiction, the Addiction Connection, episode 23. And for those of you who are listening to last week, that is 10 past Dr. Rush's episode 13, because Kurt can't count. Yeah, that last episode, I had a little <laughs> trouble with my math. Math is and, not. Uh, and honestly, I took the neuropsych testing. It looks like things are going to be okay. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. I have to drop another four points to not be able to work. <laughs> you didn't try hard enough, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It's that whole clock face thing. Had a lot of trouble there. Okay. That's because you're used to digital yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on your running watch. Okay, so we did this as a talk for our Augsburg PA students. We've done opioid use disorder in pregnancy a couple of times with our great friend, Cresta Jones, who is a maternal fetal medicine and addiction medicine provider. So that just means she's triple boarded and way smarter than we are. And she does... Long distance running, like way ultra long. marathons. She's no, ultra trail marathons. Yeah, there's something wrong with her, but we can't talk about that today. We don't have a time. Yes. Okay. So we're not going to go through what makes an opioid use disorder. I think we've kind of already belabored that. But the one thing, and this is why this talk is even important, is that if you look at overdose deaths in women, just women since you know 2007 to 2017, this data was actually published in 2019. Women have gone from 4.3 up to 5.2 per thousand women just with overdose deaths. So that's huge. And then when you look at um, just the OB and the neonatal and the whole people who are getting hospitalized and all of these things as women, um, it has gone up remarkably, especially with um, OB care. So if you're looking at hospitals doing deliveries, less than two per thousand up to almost seven per thousand. So this is this is definitely a huge issue. And so when you have opioid use disorder in a pregnant population or a, a mom who's expecting, there's a lot of complications that uh, moms, especially just the moms, if you're not even talking about the babies yet, but just the moms that can have. Yeah. I mean, all these infectious exposure issues. And I, I think that's really what we see in this group as well. But, you know, the STDs, including syphilis, which I've had a couple cases of that. I had one early Not pregnancy. personally, but <laughs> I think that I've had a couple cases of that in this particular group. And uh, hep C, HIV, we've had some endocarditis in our in our addiction crowd. Uh, we've had osteomyelitis. We've had cellulitis. We've had sepsis. We've had all of those complications from an infectious standpoint. Right. And if you throw these infections on top of pregnancy, I mean... It's just a no-brainer. It's going to cause issues. And then other issues that aren't related to infections, just injuries, overdoses, death. I mean, obviously bad things, especially now there's a baby involved. And different complications that are special to, obviously, the the pregnant population. Preterm labor is a huge one. And so going into labor way too early. And placental abruption, so when the placenta separates from the uterus, which is uh, in a medical emergency, actually. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Um <laughs> Okay, I did. Okay, not every addiction doctor delivers babies like Cresta and I do. I did for longer than you've been alive. Not every addiction so, doctor delivers babies. Moving along, <laughs> the fetal and neonatal complications, of course, are also a big issue. And when you look at the fetal growth restriction, preterm births, stillbirths, all of these things are much more common 
in groups of patients who are using opioids during pregnancy. Yeah, and preterm delivery, obviously any baby who's delivered preterm, neurological issues, physical complications, death. But if you look at the preterm rate, if you're looking at this um, population who the babies develop, which they now call now is neonatal opioid withdrawal syndrome as opposed to just plain old NAS, the preterm rate goes from 11 to 26% just in the state of Minnesota for babies who develop now. So way more likely to have preterm delivery. And then the transplacenta peripartum infection. So all the infectious things Kurt just talked about um, can definitely impact baby even at time of delivery. So what are the benefits of treatment in pregnancy? Well, there's like a gazillion. Obviously, we want to prevent those withdrawal symptoms and cravings. We don't want patients who are pregnant going into withdrawal. That's, again, obviously causes some of these other issues, and we are trying to avoid those. And obviously, the one of the biggest things is just somehow decreasing that relapse risk, getting right back into the whole issue of using again during uh, during a pregnancy. So we want to decrease that injection drug use because we have less infections, and we want to decrease all these other associated risky behaviors. Right. And the number one thing that you always think about is the better prenatal care the mom has, the better the pregnancy, the better the baby. And so getting a mom and getting treatment while they're pregnant definitely increases that adherence to prenatal care. So yeah. bottom line, number one reason. Yeah. So what are we treating these patients with, Dr. Bell? What? Well, MAT, so medication-assisted treatment. So the recommended, you know, methadone has been obviously the longstanding treatment option since the 70s, but buprenorphine is now FDA approved for treatment in pregnancy. Now, when you talk about alternatives to that, and this is a counseling thing, and so the buprenorphine with naloxone, so what we use, name brand Suboxone, uh, you know, we often use that a lot in pregnancy. And most of them, I've had one pregnant patient and I've had 10 different pregnancies on Suboxone now. Um, one of them switched to just the plain buprenorphine product. And that was more because of just nausea stuff that was, I don't know, it's related, but she switched. Everybody else did not want to mess with what was working. And of course, there's some non-MAT treatments. Most people would not recommend these. And actually, I remember the first time that uh, Dr. Jones gave this talk and she talked a little bit about detoxifying people and uh, abstinence and pregnancy. And really, this isn't a great option. We all know that the relapse rates are super high and the risks of the baby, especially with detoxification and going through withdrawal, uh, really bad. Even if you taper people down using buprenorphine, they never feel well. Okay, so this next slide, which you all can't see, I just love... Um, these are direct quotes from the big institutions that deal with this. So AACOG, the American College of OBGYNs, their statement is opioid agonist pharmacotherapy is the recommended therapy, preferable to medically supervised withdrawal because withdrawal is associated with high relapse risk, which leads to worse outcomes. So that's the I deliver babies, very holistic paragraph. And then when you look at SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, here's their statement. A pregnant woman with OUD should be offered methadone or buprenorphine. To the point. Yeah. There's no hugging. None at all, which would be <laughs> just perfect for me. So methadone. Methadone, of course, is one of those medicines just mentioned. And that, of course, is a full opioid agonist for the mu receptor. Now, it does have some advantages. And although, obviously, we cannot prescribe this particular medication, it is, uh, you know, it is something that is had tested and true, really. It's tested and true. Because it's and been it, around forever. Been around like for Kurt. a while. And there's certainly <laughs> safety established in pregnancy and breastfeeding. So I think that that is an option. I think in rural Minnesota, not so much because of the babies. So, yeah, and you look at just the fetal complications and, and some of that, and 
you know, the babies, some of them will have withdrawal, some of them will not. Um, but since it's a long-acting medication, it's better for moms because it, it, it can just keep the stable level. And, you know, often in pregnancy, we'll have to um, recommend split day dosing. So they split the dosing in half because third trimester, you might have to increase the methadone dose because the placenta does start to, to break it down a little bit. But about 35 to 70% of babies whose moms are on methadone will go through neonatal withdrawal, which that's a huge range, but it's definitely an issue, which then, of course, leads to disadvantages, which is longer and more severe neonatal withdrawal is, I think, probably number one on my list when you're looking at babies anyway. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, I think, again, this is a pure agonist. So when we look at, uh, you know, we look at buprenorphine, uh, it's going to be different, and the, the effect on babies is going to be different. But So what about the methadone dosing and, and kind of things to think about? Well, you know, if you're stable on methadone before pregnancy, uh, you know, you're probably going to want to stay with that. I don't think we're th- thinking at all about switching people over. Is that correct? Correct. Um, yeah, they might get some increased withdrawal symptoms initially because, again, the placenta will start to metabolize this faster. There's an increased volume and distribution just being pregnant. So sometimes we might have to increase that dose, again, especially third trimester. And rather than kind of stopping this a typical methadone maintenance at 60 milligrams, which I'm kind of giggling here because most patients we see who've been in methadone maintenance programs are on higher doses than that. But pregnant women are probably going to be a little bit higher than that even. So to not be afraid to, don't be afraid of that. Yeah. Buprenorphine, let's talk about what we actually can do. Yeah, in rural Minnesota, and actually really outside of any of the metro areas where you don't have that neonatologist standing around waiting for the baby, well, you're <laughs> probably going to want to go with something like buprenorphine. In our case, uh, buprenorphine slash naloxone. And again, this is a partial agonist, antagonist, so you know this is a little bit different than the methadone. I think clearly the withdrawals are different and uh, how it works is a little bit different. But it comes a lot of different ways. There's tabs, there's films, there's injectables. And there's actually now a six-month implant, and we've not used those yet, but they're certainly available. So why I love buprenorphine, and we've given different NAS versions, and we'll do a whole talk on NAS or NOWS, the Neonatal Opioid Withdrawal Syndrome talk at some point on the podcast. But advantages, we know it's safe in pregnancy, and breastfeeding safety has been established. So this has been around a while. Actually, lower overdose risk, obviously, it's not a full agonist. So if they were to use heroin or something on top of it, it's they're not going to get that euphoric type thing. Fewer drug interactions than the methadone. You can do it in the office space. But the bigger issues, at least for me, since I do deliver these babies and take care of them myself, is that the, the NAS, the NALS, is less severe when they're averse on buprenorphine versus in the methadone. And then if they do have any type of NALS or withdrawal, it doesn't take as much medication and the babies are in the hospital for much less time. There's new evidence coming out. Um, Zedler from 2016 actually shows lower risk of preterm births, greater birth weight, larger head circumference with buprenorphine uh, versus methadone, no greater harm. So it's it's a lot of this is it because they're having their better compliance in the clinic or is it the medication itself? But personally, I've not yet had to knock on wood treat any babies for withdrawal who I've had on buprenorphine. Hmm. Anyway, disadvantages of the buprenorphine, current? There's like a million. No, there's no, just there's a couple. Not. So there is limited data on this. And really, if you look at long-term childhood outcomes, there's not much. 
and I think everybody understands that. The clinical withdrawal sy- symptoms required, uh, obviously, before starting that. So when we're seeing even pregnant patients and they are using uh, opioids or heroin uh, specifically, yeah, you've got you've to bring them into withdrawal a little bit to start. Otherwise, you'll precipitate a withdrawal. And I think that's a bit of a problem when you look at what you can do with methadone where you can just start them and you just move on. Um, there, it ta- you know, talks a little bit about the disadvantage of lower treatment retention, and I actually think they're actually fairly close. I've looked at some of that stuff before, and I uh, much of this talk was from Dr. Jones, but I think the retention data is fairly, fairly similar. Well, and I think it helps, and maybe she would speak differently now that she does, like she's addiction boarded as well, but like for me that I do the OB visit and the, the Suboxone follow-ups for these moms, yeah, they're coming in for OB visits. We just tag team them, so it's not like they're having to go to a lot of other visits. Yeah, and of course, you know, when you're looking at the patients who have polysubstance use, and frequently we see this suboxone, excuse me, buprenorphine slash naloxone, you know, really doesn't treat that. And when we look at the other things like methamphetamine, cocaine, there aren't medications specifically for that. So we have to understand that still in the polysubstance people, you know, buprenorphine is for opioid. It is not for other things. And I think that is the methadone programs typically uh, better for people who need structure? Yeah, I well, think they that's have to clear. go every day. Yeah. yeah, but I think that it depends on how you run your buprenorphine clinic. Right, and as far as dosing of that, you may need an increase uh, later on in the pregnancy. But always to keep in mind, of course, uh, buprenorphine, they have it. They can, they can divert it. Um, so it's definitely something to continue to watch, but it is considered a second gold standard for pregnancy treatment. So ultimately... Definitely, especially when you live nowhere near a methadone clinic, is is great. Um, now, when you know, I keep mentioning Suboxone name brand, buprenorphine slash naloxone. Um, if you take it correctly, and patients, you know, they sometimes they'll have naloxone in their urine. If they take it correctly, naloxone doesn't get absorbed with correct use, so it shouldn't impact the baby anyway. And again, we have these discussions with patients, and even SAMHSA says you can continue or initiate with the the combo product. Um, as long as you've had that discussion. So definitely do that, of course. So some thoughts on dosing and clinical pearls for buprenorphine. Anything else, Dr. Bell? That's I'm it. I'm like two slides ahead of where you are I now. know. I'm just making sure you're, you're done. <laughs> Why don't you, you talk you, a little you, bit about naltrexone? Yeah. So we're going to talk, talk about naltrexone goes by the trade name of Vivitrol. And, of course, this is completely different. Uh, this is an opioid antagonist. And, of course, the the... This goes by pills, and actually, we we probably use much more naltrexone in the uh, alcohol use disorder crowd. I have quite a few patients on that, but it can come all as well as that month, monthly injection. Uh, and there's actually an implant, but not in the U.S. So, what's the advantage of this medicine? Well, it does reduce craving some, and it obviously reduces overdose because it's a complete antagonist. You know, probably that's biggest selling point. It's hard to divert. Especially if you get the you get injection. injection. Yeah, yeah, you get injections. Pretty hard to give that to anybody else, mm-hmm. um, and it and it is a, has that advantage. You can you're giving it in the office, you right? Know, so that's nice. Now the disadvantages again, we're talking about pregnancy here. Is that there's literally not much for safety data, and then depending on how you end up with a delivery. And I mean, obviously, we all hope to have a vaginal delivery. We all hope to deliver babies vaginally. It just doesn't always happen that way. So what do you do about pain management? Because you have this full antagonist on board, so that can be that can be an issue. Obviously, if I have a C-section, darn it, that would be uncomfortable. Um, obviously, anesthesia is coming a long way, but still. And then we don't really know much about breastfeeding safety, so it's 
I think the thing to remember, and if this is one of the dosing and clinical pearls thing, is if they're on it and they're doing really well on it, having that discussion about switching to a different option or counseling on the risks long-term, but ultimately you want to keep these moms compliant and in recovery. Well, let's go to the expert panel recommendation. Well, there's no agreement on using it in pregnancy. That's it. Done. Uh, That's done. So it's really not considered a first-line treatment, and uh, clearly we've never used it here. But I guess, you know, the other point that they make here is that you have to completely detoxify before you can give that injection. You know, you have to have all opioids. And so are you now running a different risk? I think you are. I think you are. But Well, how about going with a medically assisted withdrawal when someone's pregnant? Let's just Dr. not do Bell. it. Let's just not do it. Oh. So really, you're going to want to stabilize them in a slow taper. So you're going to want to obviously use your buprenorphine or methadone products. So if they're coming off heroin, you're going to want to first switch them over to MAT and then slow, slow taper. It's hard to slowly taper IV heroin. Uh, you just don't know what you're getting. And so some places they'll do inpatient, intensive outpatient treatment to really have that close medical supervision. And the problem is we don't really know how these moms do long term. Um, obviously if you get them off and they stay off and they do completely perfectly, then they're not going to have any differences than in their pregnancies than anybody who is not on it. But again, we don't really know the, the statistics on that. I actually uh, am caring for a pregnant woman who sees an obstetrician in another community, and she has tried to wean herself off and realized that that just, at some point she realized she just could not do it. Um, and she was trying to do it extremely slowly, and I was, of course, encouraging her not to. And uh, we finally come to that agreement where she is staying on a dose and going to stick with that, uh, especially in her third trimester. Uh, we actually kind of bumped it up a little bit. She's doing really well. I think you brought up a good point just now when you said that is that it is not dose dependent. So you're not going to have more chances of baby withdrawal of moms on a higher dose of buprenorphine versus the lower dose. The chances are across the board. It doesn't. It doesn't impact that. So. Sometimes moms will say, I need to taper to the lowest dose and reassure them we want them on the dose that they need to be on for their opioid use disorder and it doesn't impact baby. I think there's a lot of things to understand after uh, the baby is born. And I think there had been a lot of data early on about tobacco. And there was the thought that tobacco uh, somehow made their withdrawal worse. Mm. Uh, And I think that's pretty much fallen by the wayside. But we always have to think about the other medications around causing some type of exactly. issue, whether it's caffeine, whether it's smoking. SSRIs. Uh, SSRIs. So I think that's what we'll kind of get into that on yep. a later podcast. But um, I want to touch again, I'm going to back up to that medically assisted withdrawal. Uh, the disadvantage is high relapse rates, up to 90% of these moms that you do withdrawal or get off of their meds are going to relapse, which is, again, what we're hoping to not happen, especially with overdose risk and relapse. Um only 56% of the time are you successful where mom's not going to have anything illicit or illicit non-prescribed in her system. So, but again, no long-term data on maternal outcomes, like what happens when the baby comes out, then what happens Does she continue to stay in recovery, relapse, go back on meds. There's not really any statistics on that yet. Well, and there you go with the expert panel recommendations. Again, not recommended in pregnancy. So we can move on. MAT is the best option. So yeah, and then we have a bunch of different algorithms and you can Google these and all of this. But I think what it comes down to as we near the end of this podcast now is it's always, always, always about patient-centered care, shared decision-making, um, and what to do during pregnancy. You obviously want 
to have that discussion. You want these moms to feel empowered, whether they're pregnant, whether they're just in opioid use disorder treatment or that overlap. You really want to have them be part of that huge decision. Do you want to talk about tobacco that overlaps the opioid use disorder? Uh, I suppose we can real quickly. Touch on it. Yeah, tobacco use disorder, obviously, in this patient population, in our experience, I think I, I think nine out of ten uh, are using some type of form of nicotine. I've I even agree. had people who are women who are using tobacco chew. Um, so I think that you know they're they're say basically eighty five to ninety percent of pregnant women in MAT smoke. Versus and, only 16% in like yeah, all pregnant women. Yeah. And it, and we have had some stop. Uh, I think you've had a couple that have stopped. It's tough, tough sledding to kind of go from one thing to the next. But obviously for baby, it's such an important thing. Yes. And uh, like you mentioned before, and so I don't want to belabor this too much, but obviously cigarettes do cause lower birth weight also um, can have increased preterm labor and other complications, placental insufficiency. And so then can kind of overlap that whole neonatal withdrawal syndrome at birth because is it really the opioids they're withdrawing from or is it just the tobacco they're withdrawing from the babies at birth? So. Yeah, it's interesting, a little statistic they have that 20 to 45% of smokers quit from regular old run-of-the-mill pregnancies, but in MAT patients, almost none. Almost none, yeah. but I've had several. You know, back in the old days when we would do deliveries and the kids would get real jittery, I'd always ask their mom, how many Diet Cokes do you drink a day? be like six. Yeah, drink one and breastfeed that baby. <laughs> Which is funny. So we did newborn pictures totally. And, and I know Lisa Sherwood, I'm sorry, I'm advertising only because she does listen to our podcast. She did my newborn pictures for, for JC, my fourth one. And she's like, don't drink coffee before you bring your baby in to do newborn pictures because then they're harder to fall asleep and take the sleeping baby pictures. That darn caffeine. Darn babies. So, no coffee. So the best practice, obviously, get your tobacco consumption down. Um, that heavy use is considered more than 20 cigarettes a day and obviously lighter at 10. So really it's that lower birth weight and neonatal length that kind of comes with those higher levels. So to kind of end this, summarize all of this, opioid use disorder and pregnancy, it's actually one of the most awesome parts of my job because delivering babies is just one of those moments where it's just always, most of the time, a very joyous experience. You just get to, it's a happy hospitalization just as is treating a patient with opioid use disorder. You know, you get them on their meds and they just do amazingly. So when you put the two things together, it's just fabulous. But you really want to get your hospital on board. You want the nurses, you know, comfortable with this. We'll get to more of this with the NAS and the NOW stuff in a bit. But you just want to really get that prenatal care to happen. Um, but, you know, to have to bring it up, every state law and reporting laws are going to be different. And um, So when you bring all this together, it's like a patient-centered a uh, patient-centered sandwich. Wow. Okay, I just that made that up. That was really corny for you. But yes, and maybe we'll do a podcast later on about reporting and state laws because that's just super complicated. But as a provider, you really obviously just want what's best for your patient. And you know, if your patients are doing well involving the county early on, even if they don't necessarily need to, will only actually help to the benefit of the mom and baby. But yeah. I just keep wanting to talk about neonatal withdrawal syndrome, so we should probably end this one so I don't go into that. Okay. Because <laughs> we'll get that. to that. So we'll let Battle Lakes add something to the end of this thing, and we will see you next week for the next topic. All right. Thank you, everybody.